You know, God is timeless in all sorts of ways. And one is um, what's happening in Israel. And I find it fascinating that the uh, Brother Fred, the mayor, showed up to hear me preach. I've never seen him show up to see you preach. <laughs> he said it really blesses him. I told him we were kidding about this for church or before we walked in. I said, that's because the mayor had, you know, he just, he gets all kinds of conviction when you preach. He just gets entertained maybe when I preach. I don't know. But you know what is interesting, though, uh, and I love our mayor, I love our county commissioner, Carl, uh, Jerry Carl, and it's interesting. I, I have no idea, Mayor, why you're here today, but Mobile is the sister city to a city in Israel or Samaria called Ariel, to newer city. Today, I'm preaching about what is the Christian response to what's happening in Ariel. What's happening in Israel? Quite interesting. Of all days, that's why uh, uh, maybe that's why we're all here today. What is the Christian response to what we see, what we hear, what we watch? Because the truth is this: I think we've become inoculated to the things around us. Oh, they're shooting rockets again. Well, they're throwing stones again. Well, another church got burnt. So today we're going to look at three serious, serious issues globally and what should be the biblical response. You see, the thing that's happened in Israel, and all you have to do is watch Fox or whatever channel you watch, it has become politicized. And you might hear about Christians or Jews getting persecuted, maybe as a sidebar story, maybe 30 seconds worth of conversation. But today I want us to open up God's holy word and say, what does God have to say about Israel? Because it's fascinating if we would understand and grab hold of what the scripture has to say from the very beginning of time, or all the way back to Abraham anyway, about the nation of Israel being blessed and how those who will bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. So this morning, with the help of Barry Bain and our tech guys in the back, we're going to show you a few images, and certainly these are nothing like we did before. Remember when I did the message a few weeks ago? By the way, that's been seen in 26 different nations. Go figure. The world has become really small. But I want us to watch a, a quick video clip of Israel who has undergone 2,000, over 2,000 rocket blasts into their country. If you took Israel, you say, well, how big's the place? I got on my phone this morning, looked at a map, and this is the size of Israel. If you went from Mobile to Birmingham, that's the length from north to south. If you go from Mobile to Pensacola, that's the width east to west. That's the size of Israel. Now, if between us and Birmingham and us and Pensacola had 2,000 rockets shot at us, which is averaged out to be six per hour, you can't go about your normal business. In fact, there's something, I've got my phone for the first time in the pulpit, and David Bullock put me onto an app, it's called Red Alert Israel. It's for Israeli citizens. Every time a rocket's being plummeted into Israel, it gives a red alert on the phone. 
Last night I cut it off about 2 a.m. because it kept going off and keeping me awake. And I'm sleeping in Fairhope, Alabama. Can you imagine rockets going off? So what we're going to do is do something different. Every time my phone goes off with a red alert and if there's a rocket that might be uh, shot here in the next 45 minutes, we're going to let you know about it in a very unique way. Because it's hard to live a normal life when rockets are being sent your way. So let's watch this video. It's about a minute, minute and a half. Psalm 83, turn with me if you will. We're going to look at lots of scriptures today. But Psalm 83, verse 1. Even way back, the psalmist said, O God, do not keep silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation, that the name of what? Israel be remembered no more. You see, all the way back, there's been groups of people and nations of people and individuals who's wanted to annihilate Israel from the planet Earth, wanted to do away with the Jewish people. Why is that? Well, to find the answer, flip back with me to Genesis, or Isaiah rather, 44, verse 1 and 2. Look at this. But now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have what? Chosen. Verse 2. The second part of this verse is, God has chosen the people of Israel. I have no idea why. He's chosen for Christ to come through the tribe of of Israel. But it goes back to Genesis. Why? How did he choose them? Look at Genesis chapter 12, way back at the beginning of time. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people. And your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Over in Psalm 105, it says that... Is this only for a season? No, it says it will, it, this covenant that God has made is for thousands of generations. 
So in the beginning of time, you have Abram, who becomes Abraham, and God brings him through Ur, which was a nation at that time, which would be considered Iraq, and then south down into the where is modern-day Israel, and over into Egypt and back, and he says, I'm giving you this land, and I'm making a covenant with you. And this covenant is not just with you, but it's ongoing for thousands of generations. And in fact, those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And so the people hate Israel. Some nations hate Israel because they are God's chosen. Because they are, God has a covenant with them. And some people just hate God and the things of God. They hate Jesus and the things of Jesus. That's why they hate Israel. That's why they hate the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's because they hate that they're not the chosen one. Israel is. Now, look at Isaiah 60, verse 12. There's several verses that we're going to take a quick look at. Isaiah 60, verse 12. For the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will utterly be ruined. Zechariah 2.8. Look at this one. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After the glorious one has sent me against the nations that have plundered you, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. So Israel is the apple of God's eye. All right, look at Numbers 24.9. Like a lion they crouch and lie down, like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. If that's not enough, let's look at Psalm 122.6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be, what? Secure. Now that's the biblical response. God's word says, I've chosen Israel. I've made a covenant, and this will be her land. And this covenant is for thousands of generations. In fact, it goes on to say, and if you bless this group of people, then you will be blessed. If you curse this group of people, you will be cursed. If you touch her, you touch God. So the reason this is important for us is as we turn on television and watch the news and while we hear about, okay, they're sending rockets into Israel or whatever the case may be, and Israel certainly is not perfect, I'm not saying that, but what we as a Christian people need to understand who hold to the word of God is this. It's not just about a political mandate. It's not just about a people fighting. It's about what is our response as an individual who believes in Christ as a follower of Christ. It says to pray for Jerusalem. It says that may those who love you be, what, secure. For the first time in a long time, Israel watches and listens for rockets and attacks back, certainly, without any support from the United States. How can this be? 
Maybe we're insecure right now because we're not securing God's chosen. See, it has nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. It has nothing to do with liberal or conservative. It has to do with God's word, which is our roadmap to life. If we live life on terms as God has created it, then your life will be blessed. If you choose to live life in a manner that you want to or someone else wants to, wants you to live your life, life is not full of peace and joy, etc. We have to live life on the terms of the Creator. And the Creator says, this is my kid. If you bless him, I'm going to bless you. Isn't that true in normal life anyway? If someone loves your child or your grandchild, you tend to want to bless them and you're more grateful for them. But if they're ugly to your child or grandchild, you're really negative towards them. It's common sense. And this morning, as Israel faces a war by itself, I'm making a statement here today that I think to be true. I think that Hamas is testing the waters to see if the United States and our Western allies will respond in an affirmative and powerful way. For if we do not, they know that they can come in from Iran or wherever else they want to because there's no big brother or no friend sitting there to give them strength. This is a test to evaluate the future. And what side of the fence will the United States fall on? What side of the fence will the state of Alabama fall on? Will the city of Mobile fall on? Will Luke 418 Fellowship fall on? Will your family fall on? Will you as an individual bless Israel by praying for her or curse Israel by forgetting her? What an amazing time that we live to have our strongest ally in the Middle East a light on a hill, a friend, a companion. And we haven't lifted a single finger to help her. According to Scripture, that leads to insecurity, that leads to cursing, and it certainly doesn't lead to blessing. Well, God bless America. We can put it on our coins and we can say it as loud as we want. The simple truth is, how can God bless a nation that doesn't follow his book. How can we expect the blessings of God when we live life on our terms instead of God's terms? Blessings come upon our nation and our state and our city and our church and our own individual family and lives as we choose to bless her. Which, by the way, we were in Israel, this is what maybe what we'd be hearing this morning. From Mobile to Birmingham to Pensacola, every six or six times an hour, how do you live life normal? And how do those who love God sit back and do nothing? What we can do is pray. 
Personally, I wish I could go and knock some sense into our president. Right? Bop him in the back of the head and say, well, you wake up and get some sense. Because the simple truth is this. If you turn your back on Israel, you turn your back on God. And to act like there's nothing going on or to turn the other way and look and try to advocate last week for the LBGT and the gay rights movement and this movement and that movement and ESPN to be more, uh, more elated and happy about the first gay football player in the NFL. Are you kidding me? Is that really what we're about as a country? Can we not stand up for our brethren in Israel? Can we not take God's word serious? And do we not, are we not people of the book to say, it says to pray for her. We are going to at least pray for her, right? But we should light up the telephone lines of every congressman in the White House saying, we demand you to do something and to stand with our brethren there. Now, that's only one atrocity that's in our news right now. The other is this. I want to show you a picture. See if some of you recognize it. Check this out. Y'all remember that? Go to the next one. In the next. Remember in Germany is... Hitler and his regime went across Europe and they would go to the Jewish people and they'd write the Star of David on their businesses or on their homes. In fact, when I was in Italy in um, March, I went to the Italian district, I mean the Jewish district of Italy. And I went and walked down, I saw these stars on the homes. I'm like, I wonder what that means. I went and researched it and that's where Jewish people were, where Germans came in and took them out of their homes, made them leave. This atrocity that we look back in in history and we are horrified by and we say, how in the world has that happened? How did no one speak out? How did the globe or the people of the world, the, the God-fearing people, those who love freedom, those who stand for liberty, those who have compassion for others, how did we allow that to go on? Well, look at this next picture. This was two weeks ago in northern Iraq, a city named Mosul. It's the second largest city in Iraq. A group called ISIS, who's absolutely brought havoc across Syria, has now moved in, and you've seen this played out on the nightly news. Look at the next picture. And then the next. What ISIS did is they moved into Mosul, and they wrote an N. That's the Arabic letter for N. And that letter means... Uh, we're standing for Nasara or Nazarene, meaning a Christian lives there. And two Fridays ago at 1 o'clock, ISIS, this militant Muslim group, went to the leadership and they put out a word and they said, you have until 12 o'clock tomorrow to get out, convert to Islam, pay a tax, or die. Say, well, hey, okay. Mosul is where Jonah went and preached to the, what? Ninevites. Same area. Jonah's tomb has been here for 
thousands of years. Even during the time of Saddam Hussein and his rulership, and the tyranny he brought and the fear he brought, Mosul was known to still have 100,000 Christians. They went to church. They prayed together. They're like you and I, fellow believers in Christ. But when this group has come in and they wrote an N on their doors and said, this is now the property of the Islamic State. What's happened now is they've come in and the Christians began to leave by the droves. And as they left, they began to take things from them and they've taken possession of their homes. In fact, they said, they told us you're to leave all of your money, gold, jewelry, and go out with only the clothes on you. Didn't that sound like Germany years ago? It's the same thing. Now it has been reported, as of last week, after Mosul was known for having at least 1,800 years of Christian history, every church has been burnt, every Christian has ran out of town. And here's a little video clip for you to look at. That's ISIS full of hate. That's the traffic jam of people trying to leave Mosul. By the way, it's hard to find a lot of this footage on American newscasts because we're more interested in baby things instead of real things. Real lives being hurt. That's the missile that was shot that actually destroyed Jonah's tomb after thousands of years. That causes pain, y'all. Agony. Look at the little girl in the bottom right. How does she overcome that and live a normal life? As ISIS rides in the streets with machine guns and M-80s and missiles. Running Christian people out. Not just Christian, there's some others too. Notice the people have nothing. Christian people. Followers of Christ. Those who would be in our church or church like ours if they lived here. Who had an end put on their door. And everything they have taken. Sleeping on mats as refugees in other areas. With nothing. Notice what they have in their hands. And that's them swimming across the Tigris and getting ready to leave. Last week. I went on a search scripturally to say, what should be our response to Christian persecution? Because by the way, Get this number. Christianity globally is the most persecuted religion in the world. The group Open Doors reports 100 million people were persecuted last year around the planet. Currently in North Korea, between 50 to 70,000 Christians are in prison. Last year, 2,123 Christians died because of their faith. That doubled the year before. In Syria alone, 1,000 
213 Christians died because of their faith. And we had all kinds of pictures we could pull up, but we don't have time. There's no need to do it. Y'all get the point, right? What's our response? It's interesting. I could not find a scripture in reference to how you respond to those being persecuted. But I found plenty of scriptures about followers of Christ being persecuted. And if you go all the way back to Moses standing with Pharaoh, enslaved by the Egyptians, and Moses is talking to Pharaoh, and we pick it up in Exodus 9.16. By the way, stop. Missile just hit Israel. Here we go again. Red alert. Just came in on the phone. Real time. It's twice we would have taken cover. Exodus 9.16, look at this. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might, God talking, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Philippians 1.12, Paul said this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Next verse. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Next verse, Ephesians 6.19. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will, be fearlessly, so I, that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And there's others. It's interesting in the scripture, it never instructs us to pray or to go fight for those being persecuted. Certainly it says to take care of those in need, right? But what we see from Paul, from Moses all the way to Paul is this. Pray for us as we get persecuted that the gospel would go forth. Isn't that interesting? Paul says one time, he says, pray for me as I'm in chains, but pray for the gospel to go to these, these palace guards that's watching over me. And what we need to do, what is the Christian response to what we see and hear? Is one, pray for Jerusalem because the scripture says to. Number two, pray for our Christian brothers around the world. But specifically when you watch the news tonight or you hear about it, know that the part that sometimes isn't played out, that's not talked about, or these are Christian people. And we need to pray for them and pray for the word of God to, to be spread. Now, this deal that's happened in Mosul, it's interesting that because of their persecution, this story has gone global. And it is being said about them being Christians and followers of Christ and faithful and so forth. But we must pray that what we see on the news, that God's spirit is moving, that people can come to know him as Savior and Lord. Let's not lose sight of that. So what part can you play? Don't just become immune to it, inoculated to it, and say, well, that was a bad story, and move on about your business. Instead, take a moment every time you see it on the news and simply pray and say, God, may your word go forth throughout Iraq. May your word go forth throughout Israel. May your word go forth throughout Sudan or whatever story you're seeing of persecution because that is the purpose of, Biblically behind persecution.
Got it? Third. We saw a story. Here's the video clip of the girls. You're going to recognize this. Those are the 200-plus girls that were attacked and taken from their school down in Nigeria. And their reports, remember this, 112 days ago or so? They've never been found. And these girls were taken. The part that was interesting is the media never reported predominantly these are Christian girls. And they were forced to convert to Islam. That covering that you see in their outfits, that's a traditional Muslim dress. Those are little girls or teenage girls, followers of Christ, living their life in northern Nigeria, taken by Muslims who come in and take these children and try to convert them to Islam. The other part of the story is they've been missing for over 100 days, and what's sad is 11 parents of these girls have lost their lives in the last 112 or 11 days, out searching for their own daughters as the world sits silent for the most part. Seven died looking for them. Four have died at a hospital just overcome with grief and heartache and heart attacks. Now here's the truth behind human trafficking because that story made the news, but a lot of it didn't. Human trafficking generates $9.5 billion per year according to the United Nations. Guess where? In the United States. $32 billion globally. Right now, today, as we sit, there's more, slaves in the, there's more slaves around the world today than at any time in the history of mankind. We thought Wilberforce did away with slavery. The Civil War did away with slavery. Right now, according to government numbers, there's 15,000 people enslaved in the United States. In the world, there's 27 million modern-day slaves. One million children will be exploited for sexual purposes this year alone. These girls, their leader said he was going to sell them, and the selling price in northern Nigeria to other Muslim militants is $12 per child. Twelve bucks. Go to Jason's Deli and spend twelve dollars on a salad and a Coke. This is a heavy topic. Y'all, sometimes we can't just look at our own selves. We must look at what goes on around us. I want to tell you a story. I had students who wanted to work with human trafficking and I had students wanting to work with orphan care. Y'all know I went to Moldova back uh, in March and we wanted to help girls who might get trafficked and we went over and the long story short is we found out some information we met with the U.S. Embassy we met with other officials Moldova is the poorest nation in Europe Moldova the girls are extremely attractive it's a genetic pool when you take poor girls who are pretty they become vulnerable and the Russian mafia, 
because this nation used to be a part of the Soviet Union. The Russian mafia comes in and they target girls coming out of the orphanages at the age of 16. Because they know they're pretty, they're poor, and they have no one watching over them. It is normal for Moldovan young people to leave their country for work. So it's a big recruiting place. In fact, if you go down to Gulf Shores, you probably will run into a Moldovan girl at one of the restaurants if you go out to eat. Last week I was eating with a family friend from out of town at Cobalt's, and the waitress came up and I said, where are you from? She said, Moldova. I'm like, really? We just came from there. And Pam spoke a little Romanian to her, and she smiled real pretty. I pulled out my phone, and I said, yeah, this is where I was. And she looked, she, she, uh, 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 she turned white like she had seen the ghost, and she took off. And as she took off, she said, that's my neighborhood. I said, and she came back, and she said, I'm sorry. I couldn't take seeing that. I, I had to go get my composure. I said, your neighborhood? She said, that, the picture you just showed me is Britannica. That's my neighborhood where I live. I haven't been there in seven years. And she told me about her journey to the United States, actually to New Orleans, and how she was robbed and taken advantage of, and this and that. You see, what happens is the Russian mafia comes in and they take these girls at the age of 16 and then they send them to these jobs around the world, and then they begin to do horrific things to them. And that has turned into this horrible, horrible thing. So what we said is we can do something. So what we decided we could do is this. We could have a home where we take girls from Moldova out of the orphanage at 16 and put them in a Christian, loving environment that we can maybe not take care of all the girls, but we can take care of some. So let me show you a picture. That's our new home. It's called Emmanuel House. Yeah, it needs some work. Last year it was so cold in the wintertime they built tents inside of the house to stay warm. There's three girls there when we entered into this picture. Now we have seven. The state of Moldova called us and said, will you take four more girls? We said yes. I don't know how we're going to pay for them. But this is one of the girls. That's three girls. That's the state orphanage. That picture was taken with my cell phone. That's why it's blurry. Go back. Statistics tell us two of the three girls coming out of the Moldovan orphanages will be trafficked. Looking at those girls who are about 13 to 14 years old, two of those three will be trafficked by the Russian mafia. Russian pornography, that's a big part of this. So here's our girls, the next. That's Dorina. She's 15. She's gorgeous. She's sweet as she can be. Dorina recently came to know the Lord. Dorina's mother uh, and father, they're a family living in North Moldova. Her father's a contractor. Her father goes to Moscow for work. They get paid at the end of the job. You work for several months. You get paid at the end of the job. Three days before the, his job is over, he comes back with a pocket of cash. He falls off scaffolding, hits the ground dead. The Russians say, sorry, we're not going to pay you. And this girl's already starting to be targeted in her little village. And so she had a contact with the manual house. They sent her to our home, and she's received Christ. And we've given her a Bible, and what a beautiful young lady she is. 
Because in the Emmanuel house, they learned about the light of Christ, not the darkness of evil. Next girl, Mary. Mary's mother passed away. Her father's a shepherd. He's gone all the time. She became vulnerable to being trafficked. They sent her to the state orphanage. The state orphanage sent her to us. We're trying to get both of those girls from the United States by next summer. She just got her passport. I'm excited to have her in my home one day. We've got seven girls that we can take care of. Human trafficking is a huge problem. New Orleans is a top ten city in the country for human trafficking. What can we do? I look at these girls and I say, well, that's a drop in the bucket compared to the number of women around the world getting trafficked. But then I look at those girls and I say, you know what? That's a big drop. And so in conclusion, I bring you three new stories. One about God's chosen people. The word of God says, if you bless her, you will be blessed. If you curse her, you'll be cursed. We make up this country, by the way. I think, as far as I know, we are still citizens of this place, aren't we? Sometimes I don't feel like it, but this is my country. It's not somebody else's country. It's your country. I pray that we stand with her. I pray that we stand with Israel. And God's people. Christian persecution. We must pray as Paul instructs us and Moses enlightened us. To pray for the spread of the gospel. Into these places of darkness. That's the biblical mandate. And then human trafficking. Of little girls. Well scripturally let me give you two. Of course, we know James 127, real religion is to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. But there's a great verse found in Psalm 82, verse 3. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. And there's others, but you get the point. If we, as God's people, don't stand for truth, and defend people who are fatherless. Who's going to? If we, as God's people, don't really help orphans and widows, then who's going to? You see, as God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians way back in our Old Testament, He gave a picture of being the defender of the weak, the defender of the fatherless. And I pray today that we will join him in his work and care about the things that he cares for. There's something right about taking care of people who can't take care of themselves. Isn't it? There's something right about that. Why is that right? I don't know. Other than God must put it in us. That's the right thing to do. So today I look and I think of my own life as we conclude. And I've thought about this for days now. And I can't, last night I was up pretty late praying and thinking about, well, Lord, 
okay, you've made me aware of these three atrocities. You've given me the biblical understanding of what my response should be. It's not anger. It's not frustration. It's not throw up my hands and walk away. It's not stick my head in the sand. It's to pray. It's to give. It's to help. It's to give hope. And that's something every one of us in this place can do at some level. That's God's response for us. So let's not just let Fox be our informant. Let the word of God be our informant. And as we wrap up, I look at my own life and I say, no, Lord, what more could I do? Lord, do I really pray for Israel? Nah, but I didn't start today. Lord, do I really pay attention to the persecuted? No, but I can pray for God's spread, spreading of his word because of the persecuted. Do I really take care of kids and widows and orphans? Some, yeah. But I look and say, how much could I not reach in my pocket and maybe give a little something more so that Dorena can have a little better life? Can we not do a little bit more maybe that we could send another missionary for every missionary we send out they'll reach about a thousand people in a year how many time, how many more missionaries can we put out on the field this coming church calendar year wouldn't that be exciting bringing hope to people and God's called us to do this that's the good news I don't know why he asked us to partner with him but he does and what a privilege and an honor that we get to partner with God in God's work. Every one of us. You don't understand what I've done, Joe. I don't, no. But I know this, God does. And he says he has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. He calls you a co-laborer of his. He says that you can grab hold of him and do something. That greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And he wants to do unimaginable things greater than you can even think of through you. Through you. Not somebody sitting next to you. Not through Brother Fred. Not through me or somebody else. Through you. Do the part that God wants you to play. Whether that be praying, giving, or just simply loving people around you. For that is what God does.